Hear that? That's the sound of someone trying to steal your crypto. Every day, thousands of hackers online are doing the same. That's why Arculus uses air-gapped cold storage technology to protect your assets. Using our keycard and wallet app to form a protective barrier, Arculus insulates you from hackers and puts control of your digital assets back in your hands. Order the first truly air-gapped crypto wallet at GetArculus.com. You know I'm right, episode 53, right here in the zone. Nick Durst with you, along with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, let's get right into the one of the most bizarre stories of the football season, and that is DeAndre Baker. Yes, former Giant. Uh, he was cut a couple of weeks ago. He was involved in that... Uh, Basically, there was an incident with uh, Quentin Dunbar and uh, a few other guys in Florida. Uh, there was a uh, gun involved, but apparently the lawyer uh, was recently arrested, correct? Uh, some type of extortion case. So it seems like they're throwing everything out the window. That is correct. So it would appear the lawyer for the people accusing DeAndre Baker of stealing things was trying to extort money from DeAndre Baker where he said, pay us and the case will go away or something. Otherwise we'll do these testimonies. So I don't know if that means that thing actually happened or if it just, you know, the case is thrown out now because uh, obviously the other lawyer was, was dirty. So what does this mean for DeAndre Baker? He's a, he's a free agent and no one's going to sign him. I was like this season, Joe, because the NFL sleeping through their investigation and he's probably going to get some sort of suspension, I would think. Yeah, no. Uh, so from everything that we've read, right, all charges were dropped, right, which is a, a good thing. Uh, a lot of people online, especially on Twitter, uh, were kind of inquiring about where Baker would land next. And a lot of people think maybe he'd get a second chance with the Giants. Uh, from what we've seen from Joe Judge, uh, he did a press conference. Uh, I believe it was after the game on Sunday. Uh, and he was asked about, you know, the, the status of Baker. And he basically said that they've already moved on and the organization made a, a hard decision. And, uh, essentially gave him the uh, the old WWE, you know, we wish you the, the, the best in all your future endeavors kind of thing. So it doesn't seem like, yeah, it doesn't seem like the, uh, seems like the marriage, uh, the divorce, uh, there's going to be no, um, nothing uh, redeeming there uh, when so, it comes to the Giants. I mean, the honestly, Baker's probably going to have to go elsewhere. Do the Giants, does the Giants defense need DeAndre Baker? I don't know. I mean... They've been very playoff worthy mostly all season, uh, and that was having all this Baker stuff happen on on short notice, and then being forced to make a decision uh, to get rid of him. Uh, but James Bradbury is one of the best cover corners in the NFL. Uh, he's been outstanding this season. Uh, Logan Ryan, who came over, uh, he's been pretty good. Uh, made that well the interception two weeks ago to. Help seal the win against Washington, coming off all the news with his his wife and all the emergency surgery stuff. So uh, the Giants' defensive backs have actually played pretty well this season. And also that includes Julius Peppers, who 
Uh, he's more of a safety, not a traditional corner. But uh, Peppers has been yeah. very, very good this season. Jabril Peppers, yeah. he's been very strong. Uh, you know, when I look at this Giants, you know, they, they get the win over the Eagles. So real quick, Joe, do you think the Giants are the best team in the NFC least right now? As of, as it stands right now, it's hard to say no. I know the Eagles kind of still have a better record. That tie is going to come playing huge here. But they both have three wins, right? And we're through 10 weeks of the season. Right. Uh, so this is what I'm looking at the schedule, right? The Giants, they got a bye week. Then they got the game against the Bengals. They have to win that game. Huge game. And then week 17, they're playing the Cowboys. They got to win that game. Of course, they should have won last time as well. Then... They have to win one of the following games just to get the six wins, which maybe could get you the the, the NFC East uh, division crown. But seven is what you really aim for, especially with that tie the Eagles got. So you got you got to get one win against Seattle, Arizona, Baltimore, and Cleveland just to get six wins. So you ideally want to get two there. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be real tough. I'm looking at the Eagles. They have. The Browns this week. Then they got the Seahawks, Packers, Saints, Cardinals. So those are all going to be tough games. Yeah, then there's got, a, uh, a bunch of overlap. Yeah. But right then you got there. two easy ones at the end of the season with the Cowboys and Washington. So I think right now, you know, they probably can get three wins max there. Um, so you got to, you know, let's assume they both end up with six wins. The Eagles would win the, cha- the division because they, right. have the, they have the ties. So... That's that you know, handicapping there. I think you still got to say the Eagles are the favorite, but hey, if the Browns come out and beat the Eagles, then yeah, you know, it, the it, it creates a path. Uh, based on what we what we know from the Giants' remaining schedule, right? You're absolutely right. Have to win the Dallas game, but if they go to if they win the Dallas game, uh, which would be a home game, uh, right there, they're four and two in the division, right? So. Uh, you would presumably need three wins elsewhere. Based on... Gotta get the Bengals win. What you told me, right, the Bengals is a very winnable game. Uh, I like Joe Burrow, right, but uh, very winnable game for them. Got four games left, right? Of those four games that you that you, you mentioned, the Cleveland game and the Seattle game, I think, are the two games you have to watch out for. Uh, because over the past couple of weeks, Seattle, their defense has not really been great. Uh, Russell Wilson, who was my guy to win the MVP, uh, he's had a very, very shaky stretch of games. Uh, had multiple games this season where he's had multiple turnovers. Uh, it seems like things are starting to just unravel a little bit with Seattle. Uh, so that's a game that the, the Giants should have circled as a winnable situation for them. Uh, and then Cleveland, simply because uh, you don't know what kind of Cleveland team you're going to get week to week. Yes, they're 6-3 and three this season. But uh, they had to eke out that game against Houston on Sunday, uh, you know, by the skin of their teeth. And they've played other games very, very close this season. And we've seen Cleveland uh, a couple weeks ago. They hosted the Raiders in that game at home, and uh, they weren't really great on offense either. So uh, the past couple of weeks, they haven't really, really been explosive on offense. And from what we know from the Giants' standpoint is that when you watch them, the defense is good, right? Uh, so those are the two games that I would have circled. If they could figure out a way to win those two games and then you could give, you know, Arizona and Baltimore, uh, you can 
for the for the sake of having this conversation, you know, give them L's, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say they win Dallas. Let's say they win Cincinnati. Uh, let's say they win Cleveland, and let's you know hypothetically, let's say they they beat Seattle, right? It'll be very very tough, but they finish out four and three. Uh, that puts them at seven and nine. Uh, you at that point, you would just have to hope that the Eagles don't hit seven, eight, and one. And the way that they're trending, you know, I don't know if that's possible. It looks like six, nine, and one is going to be more likely there. So uh, I think there is actually a path for the Giants to win the NFC East, as outrageous as all of this sounds. <laughs> Yeah, I think the Giants have a great chance to to win that division that that playoff game because uh, the history tells you if a team makes it into the playoffs under five hundred, they do win that first game, which is which they is do win crazy. the first game. How about how uh, about your guy Tiki Barber uh, tweeting up? Yeah, a storm. I was literally just going to mention that. So he goes, he first he tweets, "I really like Wayne Gallman," and then he says, "Coaching wins in the NFL. The record doesn't show it yet, but the Giants are so well coached." Garrett has coached the turnovers out of DJ, Daniel Jones, and finally realized the asset they have in Wayne Gallman. Well done, G-Men. So, of course, Tiki gets some heat on this, but, uh, you know, I don't really think there's uh, too much inaccuracy with his statement, Joe. No. And and I and I said this, uh, I, I sent a text to you, right? Uh, just because Daniel Jones has two straight games where he doesn't really, you know, cost your team win or turnover, that doesn't mean you, you turn the corner necessarily yet. Uh, he needs he needs to put together at least three or four more games before uh, we really decide that he he's turned the corner. But uh, the past couple of weeks have been promising, so he's got to continue to do it, right? Uh, but if he continues to do it, and we know the defense has played well all season, they they've given them an opportunity to win every single game, right? The Rams game got away from them, the Buccaneers game got away from them, Cowboys game got away from them, the Bears game got away from them, right? You give this team one or two more wins, uh, you know, the perception of them is, is definitely a little bit different, right? But from what I've seen, uh, I think the program and what Joe Judge is instilling in this team uh, right off the bat, you definitely see a noticeable difference compared to last year. There were times where you would watch the Giants under McAdoo or Pat Shermer, and it seemed like that team was just not prepared in games whatsoever. Right. Now you watch the Giants this season, they're they've been engaged for the full sixty minutes in every single game right. that they've been in. And the big difference the only game is, that got away from them was the 49ers game. The big difference is that Joe Judge knows how to use his timeouts and manage a clock and, and use challenges and whatnot. I uh, just right. you know Shermer and McAdoo are clueless. But yeah, if Daniel Jones doesn't turn the ball over, that's that's the key to success. How long is this gonna last? I don't know. But you know, Daniel Jones now, he gets another win within the NFC East, and it seems to, seems to be working for him. So hopefully he can keep that mindset. Uh, you know, the, the other major stuff coming out of the weekend and, well, and Monday night is that injuries. You got Drew Locke has a rib injury. Nick Foles, he's got a hip injury. And worst of all, Drew Brees, five fractured ribs and a lung injury. What do you think this yeah, does for the balance of power in the, in the NFC? Yeah, so we're going to have to see what Jameis Winston does for the, the next couple of weeks. Uh, last year, Drew Brees was also hurt, and Teddy Bridgewater came in for the Saints and played really, really well. And he played so well that he ended up getting himself a starting job uh, for this season with the Panthers, and he's actually played really well in Carolina. But uh, you're going to see what Jameis has the next couple of weeks. And I think this stretch of games will determine if some team takes a flyer on Winston to be a starter next season. You know, very, very similar situation. So 
Uh, we shall see where the balance of power in the NFC goes. Obviously, the Saints are right up there, along with the three NFC West teams and the Packers. Uh, going to be very, very interesting to see. Uh, and then, uh, so we mentioned the three NFC West teams. Uh, we got to mention the Cardinals here. Your guy, Kyler Murray, putting himself right back in the MVP conversation. Had a really, really tough loss last week against the Dolphins at home. Came right back against the Bills, uh, and they ended up not only going down in that game uh, to, towards the very, very end, but they came right back in the final minute and with the hail married at DeAndre Hopkins, which was by far the play of the year in the NFC. They are now moved to 6-3. and three. I believe that they are in first place, no? They are first place. They are and, in first uh, place. You know, what about Arizona Cardinals? And did you see the reaction from big apparent Cardinals fan Blake Shelton? <laughs> imagine i had no idea uh i believe blake shelton was born in oklahoma right i think and then uh there's no pro football in oklahoma so i don't know can consider him that nashville's adopted son i guess so yeah so i i don't know i i didn't know he was a cardinals fan uh but yeah he reacted to this and, and everybody was going like cuckoo over it i mean it was just it's one of the best plays of the year, right? You know, it it, it, it draws back to several Hail Mary moments right. over the years. You know, most notably off the top of my head, remember the, Rogers. the Rogers Hail Mary Twice. against the Lions? Yes, Rogers is the best of Hail Marys. But this is we almost had another historic part of this game because the, the NFL's leader in passing guard, Josh Allen, he almost... Do you wonder where your food comes from? More and more people do. America's corn farmers work hard every day to grow a crop that you can be proud to serve your family. And they're doing it with an eye towards sustainability, caring for water, air, soil, and resources that fuel healthy families and more sustainable products. Take a look to find out how farmers in rural America work to make life better for all of us, from cities to their rural communities. Learn more at ncga.com. NCGA, a commitment to the future became i think the first guy to catch throw and rush for a touchdown in one game that would have been awesome because he had the the early receiving touchdown yeah he had the early receiving touchdown and then he had a rushing touchdown right so uh i mean he's also your guy i mean you you got you got a lot of good guys at your disposal but that game that game you must have must have broke your heart right you like you two guys like how could you really decide between either or right you know the the cardinals needed needed to win more so it's it's okay. They're in first place in the NFC West now because the Rams they took care of business again against the Seahawks. So uh, you know they uh, they're proving that they're also one of the best teams and they have the same record as the Seahawks and Cardinals now. But the Cardinals have the tiebreaker. But looking at the MVP standings here, right? Not really standings, but forecasting. Kyler Murray has 17 pass touchdowns. So what what do you think do you think it's realistic like realistic he gets to 30 pass touchdowns on this season Joe? Uh I got to think about this for a second. He's going to come very very close. Right. So let's say very, he gets 30, right? So let's he, say he hit the, he hits 30 on the head for argument's sake. All right. So he gets 30 passing touchdowns on the head. He's already got second he's already got the second most rushing touchdowns in the league in 10. I'm going to assume he gets at least five more. Uh so if he's got if he counts for 45 touchdowns on the season, it's pretty difficult to not name him the MVP, my preseason pick for MVP. And, and if the Cardinals are going to the playoffs as the, the top team in the NFC West, uh, how do you ignore that, Joe? No, I totally agree. Uh, I think when we're looking at the MVP race right now, I think Kyler Murray 
uh, and Aaron Rodgers are literally one and two neck and neck. I think both guys are uh, very, very worthy MVP selections at this point. Uh, I think you could easily put Kyler Murray number one after his performance uh, last uh, on Sunday at the very, very end of that game uh, to be able to get off that throw. He's clearly made a huge difference this season. Uh, I'm perfectly okay with putting him number one. If you have Aaron Rodgers number one, that's perfectly fine too. Now, there, there is a guy that a lot of people are sleeping on. He's got 25 touchdowns and one interception, and he is currently fifth in the league in passing yards. Do you know his name? Patrick Mahomes? Yes. I mean, <laughs> the, the, I, the issue with Mahomes is that he plays, I guess, on the best team in the NFL. I mean... Yeah, I understand He's, they have a loss. It's that LeBron James sent them there because LeBron right. could get the MVP every year too. But once he got it, it's been tough for him to get it again. He's still standing on Michael Jordan. But if you're looking at Mahomes' numbers, and I love Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes has more more pass yards. He's got the same yards per attempt. He has. Uh, he's got more completions, but he also has thrown the ball 15 more times. He's got. One less touchdown than Rodgers, and he's got two less interceptions. So, I mean, how do you not – I mean, nobody's talking about him, but he's he should be in the race for MVP. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, Your guy, Russell Wilson, though, I think fell out of it. I think he stepped down, he stepped down a little. Yeah, I think he stepped down outside the top three. I think he, he still has an opportunity to climb back, but the last two weeks or so, uh, like I said, he's had multiple games in a row with multiple turnovers. Uh Team went from six and one, uh, and and on top of the world in the NFC, and with the inside track to do a lot of things, and now uh, they they really fell back a little bit. So he's got to he's got to work to 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 get himself back into the race. Uh, I think Mahomes has vaulted him right now. So I think the top three are definitely Kyler, uh, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes. And I definitely think think you can still put Josh Allen in that discussion. I don't think he's in the top three. But he's Gotta kind of hovering there. around there. He hasn't he hasn't really totally twenty one uh, touchdowns. You know what he does on the on the ground. Uh, leads the league in passing yards. I think he's gonna he's definitely gonna break three thousand five hundred passing yards this season. So he'll probably be the first in passing yards. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of the quarterbacks in play. Uh, listen to this guy's numbers so far, and maybe you can guess who. Two thousand three hundred and thirty three pass yards. He is averaging seven point eight yards per attempt. He has 19 touchdowns and six interceptions, and he missed the first game of the season. Guess who? Wait, he missed the first game of the season? Yes. Who missed the first game of the season? He was he was technically a backup in the first game of the season. So he, he just does he wasn't the starter. Who was the backup? Huh. He plays in a Los Angeles football team. And it's not Jared Goff. Oh. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say he's in the MVP discussion, but I mean. It's good numbers. I'm rookie of the year. Really no doubt about numbers. it. I mean, listen, he's in the top two right now for rookie of the year. And uh, and I think with the way that Tua played uh, on Sunday, uh, those two teams played each other. Uh, listen, we got to. We got to talk about the Dolphins a little bit. They they can win the AFC. No, no, no. Josh Allen's going to. He's going to stop them. Uh, <laughs> No doubt about it. I think well, Brian Brian Flores, I think, is the front runner for a coach of the year. Right. Uh, I think I think he should definitely be up there. Uh, you know, just real quick to close out the MVP talk. Um, the top uh, four guys in touchdowns: Russell Wilson, twenty-eight; 
Aaron Rodgers, 26. Mahomes, 25. Brady, 23. Um, but then if you if you if you take rushing with passing, Murray's and uh he's got twenty-seven. So he's he, that's that's the mix, I think, right now, the guys you're looking at. Allen's a little behind, but uh Big Ben also having a good year, but not not MVP worthy. Uh but yeah, I think I think a lot's a lot of crazy stuff's going on right now in the NFL and none crazier than Antonio Brown Joe, who uh he he has a pretty solid game, like he had seventy receiving yards. Then it turns out that he apparently was throwing a bike at someone, and there was some some more legal troubles. What did what did what were your, what's your take on that? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm reading the TMZ article right that you sent me before the show started. Uh, according to the police report, Brown cussed out the female security guard, saying, "Why are you wasting my blank time?" He kind of fill in the blank there and guessed the word, uh, and you need to let my guests through the blank gate uh and then he threw the bicycle at the arm of the guard gate and then yelled the property manager calling her a racist something else that i don't want to say on air uh we don't want to get in trouble here but uh so this happened right and essentially the buccaneers organization came out and said yeah we knew about this which makes the whole thing just more bizarre because uh it seems like it seems like everybody just wants to keep giving Antonio Brown chances. Uh, and we'll see how long this lasts. But from my perspective, the Buccaneers have so many offensive weapons down there and so many other guys that they can rely on. Uh, they don't really necessarily need Antonio Brown. He was kind of maybe like a, a luxury signing for them. But uh, this kind of stuff, like, I don't know. Like, how many other organizations would would want him around, you know, after this. Probably just you know, the it's, Jets. It's, this is basically, this is basically a Tom Brady move, I think. I think yeah. Tom Brady just wants him around so much. So <laughs> Buccaneers were trying to at least appease him in some way. Uh, but he had a solid game Sunday, you know, considering that uh, this guy's only played one game in the last, what, two seasons. Uh, just been detriment going team after team after team, incident after incident after incident. Uh, for him to come in. Uh, you know, with Tom Brady around, it's like plug and chug, right? You know, he's in the lineup. They'll he'll find him. Uh, he had 70 receiving yards. So, uh, again, it's it's one of those things where it's going to be the Antonio Brown show week to week. Uh, I mean, if something else happens, he's definitely going to get cut. Uh, but it just seems like everybody's is looking for an excuse to sign this guy. And I, I don't know. I don't think he's worth the hassle. Time will tell if, if the, the, the Buccaneers get their return on investment this season. Uh, it's not like they're in a, 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 it's not a position of need. It's not like the Bucks will be drafting a wide receiver next year. If for some reason, uh, Brown doesn't work out. Uh, but speaking of drafts, the NBA virtual draft coming up. And of course the Knicks, not anywhere near the top of the draft. They're picking eighth. And, you know, now you got some New York media just trying to constantly, pound this idea that the Knicks should, should trade up for LaMelo Ball, which I think is stupid. Uh, and then LaMelo Ball, I don't know, he had some strange Zoom call uh, where he, he said that he had a Zoom interview with the Knicks, and then when he when they followed up to ask him about it, he said, I think I'd be a great fit with D'Angelo Russell in Minnesota. And, of course, the, the Timberwolves have the first right. pick. <laughs> so that's from Ian Begley. So I don't know. I don't know what to read on there, but 
you know, I'm sick, sick of watching these channels in New York, and they're like, oh, then what, should the Knicks trade up for Lamella Ball, uh, or should, you know, I don't think so. I don't think that would be silly. No, I don't think so This either. is not a great draft. Uh, maybe they get, I don't know who they're going to get. We'll see. Wiseman probably going to the Warriors at two, which I think is great for the Warriors. I'd be shocked if they aren't in the conference finals next year in the West. Uh, especially with the Rockets, apparently maybe tearing things down. I don't know. James Harden wants to force his way to the Nets. He he rather he's going to turn down fifty million dollars for a year to go to the yeah. Nets. What are you crazy? So there are there are reports out there that uh, I believe it was either late last week or over the weekend. Harden and Durant uh, were in contact with each other. I believe there it's a possibility that they were working out with each other. Uh, and during the meeting, Harden just basically brought up the idea that he wants to come to the Nets and he wants to to play with them and have the opportunity to win a championship. Uh, so James Harden refused uh, a two-year, essentially $100 million contract extension, right? It would be the, He would have been the first $50 million player in NBA history. Uh, and considering that he plays in Houston in the state of Texas with no state tax— the fact that you're turning down fifty million right off the bat. What's the come to get taxed beyond belief in Brooklyn? Yeah, so he wants to come to the Nets, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that the Rockets have all the leverage here, and they absolutely are beginning the stages of a teardown because they traded Robert Covington to uh, Portland yesterday. When yeah, but they got a reason back. Who, who is? You know, I think they're pretty much on par. Those two. Right. I think. Uh, well, they ended up getting a first-round pick, too, so that's not a bad trade. But I think the Rockets are in the process. They have, I think, one foot out the door. I think uh, regardless of what happens, I do believe that one or both of Hard, James Harden and Russell Westbrook will be moved uh, for what you know remains to be seen depending on the return. Uh, I think if they could figure out a way to swap Russell Westbrook and maybe like an all-star for an all-star apples for oranges kind of move, maybe the Rockets take one more crack at it with James Harden. Uh, but it seems like James Harden is the one who's more adamant about wanting out. I think he, when you turn down $100 million for two years, uh, I think that that shows the organization that, okay. I think know, he we, just really wants work. to play with D'Antoni again, the assistant coach of the Nets. Although, yes. although according to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, you know, there's no such thing as coaches. One night, Durant could be the head coach. The other night, Kyrie could be the head coach. Steve Nash, he's the head coach, but he's never the head coach. So you never know what's going to happen with the Nets. I I can't wait, Joe, to see the Nets' experience blow up in their faces because of Kyrie Irving. Well, we have to see how this ultimately pans out because, I mean, I mean, yes, there's only one basketball, but if your team has Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, I mean, you're among right up there, one right. of the best three, four teams in the league, period. You know, and and I don't want to even like be biased about it. Like, yes, the dynamic between those three, I think, will would take time to get used to. Uh, but I mean, obviously, they'd be one of the most talented teams in the league. But at that point, you know, what would the Nets be willing to give up for James Harden? You know, they, the Rockets would probably want Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen right off the bat. 
probably going to want at least two or three first round Paris Levert, I think, is who the Rockets should ask. In a rapidly changing world, people wonder more and more about where their food comes from and how it was grown. The farmers who grow America's corn understand how important this is and want to share the stories from our farms of how we are working to grow an incredible crop that can be an answer to sustainability questions and is grown by men and women who value the air, water, soil, and our natural resources just like you. To find out more about how corn farmers are working to feed and fuel a vibrant economy and healthy planet, visit ncga.com. NCGA, a commitment to the future. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at getarculus.com. I mean, that's, I mean, they'll probably ask for it, Levert, Dinwiddie, and Jared Allen. And at that point, you're like, ugh, you know, are you really going to gut the rest the rest of your roster? You know, I, I think the appeal for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving was that they saw what the Nets were doing and they saw what how Chris Levert was developing. And he's not quite an all-star, but he's he's right on the cusp of being that kind of player. And I think playing with Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving would make him uh, a better player and put him in that conversation to maybe be a, a first-time All-Star next year. I think Jared Allen, uh, for what it's worth, I think he's just a really solid center. Uh, I think he's a guy who can finish plays, uh, finish pick-and-rolls, finish alley-oops. Uh, he's a, not a great rim protector, but he's solid enough. I think he would play uh, play off really well with those guys. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie took a really nice step last year. Uh, he's become one of the more underrated players in the league. Uh, you know, is he a starter? You know, is he an all-star caliber starter? Probably not. Uh, but on a team like the Nets where they would probably need uh, maybe a, a, you know, a really solid fifth starter, maybe like that good, you know, first go-to score guy off the bench. Like I think he'd be perfect in that role. So what you're asking for is obviously the, the, the return for the, the James Harden is going to be a bunch, you know, it's, would the Nets be willing to roll the dice and get three legitimate all-star caliber players? Uh, I think Kevin Durant, you know, full-on superstar, still a top three, four player in the game. Uh, uh, ultimately, have... it's whatever Durant wants is it's, it's what's going to happen. If he says, no, let's get Harden, we and get I... him. If he doesn't want Harden, they don't get him. What's more interesting is going to be what the Knicks are going to do. Thibodeau's pushing Leon Rose to let's try to win this year, which I think is the right move because enough of this like losing every year. It's brutal. Uh, they don't get Chris Paul. I don't know what they're asleep at the wheel, I guess. Chris Paul goes to the Suns. So now the question is, does, does Westbrook, who's Harden's teammate, get shipped to New York as well? Uh, and, you know, what are the Knicks giving up for him? I don't. I mean, I pretty much give up basically anything on the roster for Westbrook. I know you don't like Westbrook. So maybe they get Westbrook and they could look to contend next year. I don't know if they're going to be winning a championship, or at least they can make the playoffs. Uh, and then, you know, the other options are your guy, Fred Van Fleet. And then you got to just, you know, see what happens in the draft. They could be a bunch of uh, point guards on the board there. They might go in that direction. And still have Fregni Lakina, of course, on the roster. So we'll see about that. And... The thing is, you know, Danilo Gallinari was rumored to be a Nick, but he's probably looking to to join a contender. So with, with uh, Chris Paul out of Oklahoma City, Danilo Gallinari is probably, if the Knicks don't get a superstar here, he'd probably want to go to a to team where he could try, try to win. And of course, without Chris Paul being a Nick, I don't know what that means for our guy Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, a lot of dominoes still have to fall. Uh, I do like the idea that... Uh, Thibs wants to win this year. 
Uh, I've said this to you before. Uh, I think he is going to be the best coach for this team uh, that they've had in some time. Now, you could debate... <clears throat> You could debate, you know, whether Hornacek would have been a good coach, you know, D'Antoni. Uh, you can go on down the list, but the defensive first mentality that he's going to bring, and I think the the cohesion and the structure that he brings as a an individual holding players accountable, I think that is what the Knicks have missed for a really, really long time. And I think the Knicks have talent. I think R.J. Barrett has talent. I think Mitch Robinson has talent. Uh, we could debate you know, other guys on the roster, uh, but the point being is that they still have raw talent in place that needs to be developed and I think will be developed better under Thibs than any other guy that they could have probably brought in, right? So for for the sake of let's let's have the hypothetical discussion right let's say they go out and make a move for Russell Westbrook right first things first you have to match salaries right so if you're going to match salaries that means that one of Bobby Portis or Julius Randle will 100% be in the trade right hopefully uh, Randle well yeah obviously that's a that's a, a good starting point for these guys right um would probably need at least one of the guards right so see a Alfred Payton or see a Dennis Smith, right? I feel like the Rockets would be more inclined to take on Dennis Smith because he still have he still has some promise. Uh definitely a little bit reckless. Uh but I still think he has untapped potential. I think he's a a bulldog when it comes to his scoring potential. Uh defensively, I don't think he's a really great defender, but I definitely do think he's got the offensive game. Scott was the rookie of the year. NBA, so let's not right? forget that. So at that point, then you'd be looking to add secondary pieces, right? So we believe Kevin Knox would be in the trade, right? Uh, that makes you know total amount of sense. Uh, and I think there's there's one more guy I'm missing that we we constructed the deal. Uh, but the point being is that Russell Westbrook makes over forty million dollars. So if they're going to make the trade, obviously they're going to have to move uh, one or two of those temporarily uh, you know pieces that they signed last off season. Uh, kind of they were kind of in the transition right you know they 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 weren't really necessarily building last offseason they were kind of still in transition so i think you uh, keep Mitchell Robinson you keep no, Neil, you keep Neil Akina, you keep right. Dennis Smith everyone else on the roster i get rid of i, I, don't, I don't think they're they're ever going to pan out you don't like RJ Barrett huh i don't uh, i mean maybe he's going to be a solid 7th or 8th man uh you know for his career Play 17 years, but he's never going to be an all-star first-team All-NBA player. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think he's going to be first-team All-NBA. I think the comparison that I made for him a long time ago was DeMar DeRozan, right? I think he has the potential to be a uh, multi-time all-star in this league. Uh, I don't think he has the potential to be a top two or three shooting guard, but I definitely do think he has the the potential uh, to be a top 10, uh, possibly top five shooting guard, but... Uh, not really like a superstar caliber player. So, you know, it depends. You know, if, if you want to put R.J. Barrett and you want to start talking about uh, making a move, you know, for other guys around the league, you know, that's that's totally fine. Uh, obviously, they missed out on the opportunity to get Anthony Davis. Uh, Anthony Davis would have come to the Knicks. Yeah, he's a free agent, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think he'd be a great fit with the Knicks, honestly. Uh, I just I just don't. But uh, yeah, so the, the draft is virtual. 
interesting to see how that plays out. And of course, you don't know if there's people, players who really couldn't get across the country to work out. Um, so I'm sure. If the Knicks are I'm really, sh- if I'm, they're really interested in winning now this year, then my, my uh, suggestion for them would be to put the eighth overall pick in play. Because I think yeah, they but put who, the who wants to trade play, for the eighth overall pick in a weak draft? Right. Um, but I still do. I do think the eighth overall pick has value simply because what I can uh, tell I you is the teams that are in that that weird phase where they're going to look to they're probably not really going to be contenders. Uh, so that pick will have value to them. I think the seventh overall pick will be a mega star. Uh, every you know happens all the time with the Knicks. Whoever's picked in the seventh spot. You know, look at Steph Curry comes goes out to be an all time great. So no luck for the Knicks, but you know this is the best part of the NBA season. It's the off season. Hopefully the Knicks do something and uh, they can field some sort of competitive team starting in December. Uh, the other huge you know story, which was big, was that the Hall of Fame released a ballot, and you know, Nick Swisher, your guy, was so excited to be on the ballot. Uh, I can't believe he was on the ballot. He was just going crazy. Uh, So, you know, I think uh, we'll get the ballot here. We we both agree. Kurt Schilling's got to get in this year, first and foremost, right? I mean, I would hope so. I I think a lot of his rhetoric and his comments that he makes on Twitter and and with everything else, uh, I don't know. It feels like it's very off-putting to a lot of people who – who are actually making these decisions. Uh, I believe he's a Hall of Famer. I believe a lot of guys. So uh, let me give you my... T- I, I would pick 10. So I'll, I'll give you Kurt Schilling, Omar Vizquel, Billy Wagner, Todd Helton. So that's four. Jeff Kent, I think, should be in. That's five. Uh, I would say... I think Torrey Hunter is a Hall of Famer. I don't think he gets in this year, but I'll give him a vote at six. Uh, I believe I already said Todd Helton. So, you know, that I'm going to go with, uh, I got, I think I'll go Scott Rowland. I think his his defense there is just uh, tremendous. So Scott Rowland at seven. Uh, And then, you know, you get into the other guys that everyone talks about. So I would, I would say I'd vote for Bonds. That would be eight. I would vote for... Should I? I guess I'd vote for uh, you know Sammy Sosa at nine and Manny Ramirez, uh, but it, it, it gets tough there at the end. But the first, the first seven guys, I thought was who I would certainly vote for. Uh, Omar Vizquel gets underlooked. Played the most games ever at, at shortstop, two seventy hitter, amazing Gold Glover, and Billy Wagner is the all time leader in saves as a lefty. Uh, one of the greatest closers of all time, but that's that's the that's the direction I'd kind of be heading with my list. How about you? Yeah, I think a lot of uh, people are very stingy when it comes to filling out their Hall of Fame ballot. Um, so for the purposes of following you, I'll have I'll, you know I'll choose ten too. Uh, right off the bat, Bonds, Clemens, both yeses for me, absolutely. Uh, and I would also say Kurt Schilling is a big yes for me. Those are the three yeah. guys right off the bat that stand out to me. Right. Uh, so my whole, well, my only thing is, see, before I put in Clemens, I would put in Bonds, Manny, Sammy, and Gary Sheffield. Uh, I think, I think I'd put the offensive hitters in first because, to me, you know, let's not have a steroids talk here because he wants to bore the audience. To me, I just think that those guys, um, 
you know, at some point in their career, they were great even without the steroids, especially Bonds and Sheffield. Whereas Clemens, you you don't really know. You never know how how long how long he was on the juice as a pitcher. So I, I don't know. But I I would just put the offensive guys in over the pitcher well, I think, there. I think the first half of his career, uh, he wasn't really using. I think that was more so uh, the second latter part of his career from like the late nineties on. But again. We don't want to bore anybody with the steroids talk. Everybody, uh, it's one of those extensive things where, you know, you can talk in circles about it for for years and years and years and Mm -hmm. bore yourself to tears, right? Uh, So, I mean, I'm with you. Like, I think I would cross off Sheffield too. Sosa is one of those guys who is weird. He's like McGuire in the sense where his entire Hall of Fame candidacy comes down to one asset, and that's his power. And he was a user. Right. Well, everything's so, going to change because next year you got a Rod and David Ortiz on the ballot. So right, you know, we could both we, go in. We could table that. We should both go in immediately. We could table that, that discussion right for next year. Uh, if if Ortiz gets in, there's going to be a lot of. Uh, if Ortiz gets in and a Rod doesn't, there's going to be a lot of backlash. A yes. lot of backlash. No doubt about it. Because you can't pick and choose when you want to use the drug argument right. and then put a guy like Ortiz in first and then. Have a guy like A Rod not go in immediately, especially especially if you make guys like Bonds and Clemens wait, and then you put in Ortiz, who, uh, like I said, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer to me. You know, that's the very first thing I want to say. But his name came up in the Mitchell report. You know, he did fail a right. test, right? So you can't you can't be picky and choosy when you want that argument. Uh, you know, when you want to use that argument. So yeah, I agree. Uh, yep. So. Was, you got your core guys right, there. Let me let me, yeah. let me fill out my ten. Right. Yep. So we got Bonds, Clemens is two, Helton's three. I think Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. I I've always believed that. I think I think he's the best defensive center fielder of his generation. Followed Griffey, had ten. So uh, this is also how I evaluate you know the Hall of Fame in my mind. If you have eight to ten great years where you are among one of the best at your position uh, and you are on a team like like that that Atlanta team was. Uh, he was also a very, very good hitter. He had a few really great seasons. So if you, if uh, you put an Andrew, Andrew Jones in, you got to put Fiscal in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I was going to get there. So uh, so let's see. Jer- Jones is four. I agree with you 100% on Jeff Kent. Uh, best second best baseman hitting, ever. Best hitting second baseman of all time. He's got he's to be in. Right. Mad Dog would love you for saying that. <laughs> He's been screaming. I've for always you. been a Jeff Kent guy, but he he never gets any love. Yeah, the Mets did a great job trading also, him. Also, also won an MVP at the height of the steroid era. Right, right? with Barry Bonds all on his team. All these guys were using. He won an MVP, right? So right. that that's, means something to so me. So you got your five there. Yep. So that's five. I'm with you on Manny. I'm with you on Roland. I'm with you on Schilling, Sheffield. So that's nine. And then I have to decide between Billy Wagner and Omar Vizquel, right? And that's a very very tough decision. Uh, that's tough. I mean, you got to put in Vizquel before Andrew Jones. Uh, I don't know. I'm a I'm a huge Andrew Jones guy. Oh, as a Yankee, I, that's I think fine. I think he's he had a very Hall of Fame worthy. So career. vote for Nick Swisher then with your tenth vote. <laughs> I will put Billy Wagner in simply because I think uh, it means something uh, that he was one of the best closers ever. Uh, and doing it as a lefty, he was right now, as it stands, the best lefty closer, uh, probably 
uh, of his generation and one of the, the, the two or three best of all time. Yeah. I think that very much means something. Uh, and I think he gets over, uh, I think he gets overlooked a lot in, yeah. the, in these kinds of discussions. So but speaking, but speaking of hall of fame, future hall of famer, Theo Epstein steps yeah. down, stepping down in three days, November 20th from the Cubs. And he is going to apparently take the year off. There's some people saying, Oh, maybe he just wants to get to the Mets or the Phillies. Uh, but he had a press conference. He said, I, plan to be a season ticket holder here for the Cubs. I always plan to leave after 10 years. Um, I think this was his ninth year. Uh, and he said they were always targeting October 2021 uh, as his last you know, month with the team. But they looked at the roster now with everything going forward and that he felt it wasn't fair for him to like potentially start a mini rebuild and then you know have somebody else inherit that and have to finish it off. So he steps down. Uh, but un- no, Theo Epstein is the best general manager of all time, Joe. You know, when you break the curse with the Red Sox yeah, and no, the I Cubs, agree. how yeah, much better does it get? Totally agree. Three, three-time champion. Uh, and for the most part, oh, mostly every team that he presided over and that he was one of the top front office executives for, uh, that team won games during the regular season, right? So not only was he instrumental with the Red Sox, but that Red Sox team uh, was a perennial, uh, you know, division contender and playoff contender uh, mostly every year that he had with the team. And it was the same with the Cubs. Right. So, yes, there was a period at the beginning of his Cubs tenure uh, where they did a rebuild. So the Astros and the Cubs were the two teams that rebuilt at the beginning of the last decade and who ended up uh, winning championships uh, later in the decade. Uh so when you look at Epstein, not only does he have a track record of being able to rebuild teams, he has a track record of cons- consistent uh, winning success during the regular season. And when you have three championships, that means your team's won in the postseason. So absolutely, right off the bat, he's one of the possibly the best general manager in the history of baseball. Also did it in an era uh, with a lot more parity and a lot more teams uh, than, than, than previously. Uh, so you know, kudos to him. Uh, he's going to get a year off or so. He's going to be with his family. That's the plan. And it seems like there will be a third act with him, right? The, the Red Sox was the first act. The Cubs was the second act. Now he's got to try to find a place uh, where he'll, he'll fit in uh, and finish that that third stage of his career, the third act. Uh, and if he's able to to go somewhere else and finish out his career, whether it's whether he wants to be in the game for three years, five years, ten years, uh, obviously he didn't last ten years with the Cubs, but uh, depending on what he wants to do, if he's able to go to a third organization and if he's able to successfully rebuild a third organization and possibly add one more rank to his resume with a, with a third different organization, definitively, I think that makes him probably the best or, like executive maybe in the history of sports altogether. Oh. You, know, you know how ridiculously tough that Better is? Better than Bill Belichick? Uh, well, Belichick has – so it, it's it's apples and oranges. What Belichick was able to do, uh, he's one of the best coaches of all time with the Giants, right? One of the best you know, assistant coaches of all time. Uh, the best NFL head coach of all time, period, right? But what he did was with the period of sustained success with one team. Now, it, it's, it's apples and oranges, but I think what both guys did, uh, the accomplishments are right on par with each other, right? Uh, but I think – 
I wouldn't say it's necessarily more impressive what Epstein has done, but I think it's harder to do with two teams than one one team because you have other comparables in other sports, right? So the the, the Spurs are a great example of this with Greg Popovich. Uh, 15 to 20 years of consistently uh, great success, uh, perennial 50-win team in the regular season, five championships, three different decades, right? So what Bill Belichick did in the NFL is by far the greatest accomplishment in NFL history. But it's not really so. Uh, there, there are other comparables and other. How about you, Glenn Sather? Also, with, Glenn Sather. What's up, Glenn Sather? <laughs> uh, four, well, unfortunately, four, four Rangers cups. have to win a Stanley Cup uh, in order for him to really, to really get the the recognition. Had they won the cup in 2014, then I would say yes. But uh, he's probably one notch below those guys. Uh, what Cashman was able to do with the Yankees, right? Uh, the dynasty that they had in the the uh, the nineties into the two thousands, uh, consistent success in the two thousands. They made two more World Series appearances in 03 and 09. They won in 09. Uh, so yes, they haven't made a World Series since two thousand nine, uh, but they've consistently continued to have regular season success. They don't. They never. They're never really under five hundred. So there are precedents in other sports where there are guys, there are coaches, and there are front office executives who have sustained success over a period of 15 to 20 years uh what epstein was able to do basically rebuild two organizations from scratch into world series contenders uh like i said if he does it with the third team that's unheard of you know no front office executive at all is able to go into two organizations let alone three and have that success imagine if he uh uh, he went to the knicks and won a championship with the nba then you really say oh my gosh this is the greatest guy of all time (laughs) right what do you think do you think do you think if you took a guy from one sport and made him a general manager in another sport that it, the success could translate, or you think it'd be just too tough to do something like that? Uh, I don't. I think it would be hard, but I don't think it's unreasonable. Simply because didn't, didn't Lou Lamarello have a have a have a hand in the Nets in the early two thousands? <laughs> Most of these guys have the wherewithal to understand that they are nothing without the the, yeah, the quant department. guys, the math guys, the scouts, the finance guys. These guys would be smart enough to surround themselves with the best guys in the business. So while I don't think – well, I think 99.999999% of people would not be able to translate across sports. I definitely think there is a very, very small limited bracket of guys who you could probably count on one or two hands. Definitely Theo would be able to do it. Theo, Theo's got to be there. Uh, and you know, just the greatest, the greatest, I think, to ever do it as far as an executive. Uh, and then, you know, winning those World Series, breaking the curses are huge. Uh, and I'm looking at the World Series favorites right now, courtesy of Odd Shark, Joe. The Dodgers are favored to repeat at plus 500. I wouldn't take that bet because it's very rare that we see repeat champion. We haven't seen it since the Yankees back in the day. Uh, you know, you got the Yankees are second favorites at plus 600. Not sure why they are the co- they're right there. They haven't done anything this offseason so far. Um, they didn't look good in the playoffs last year. But, uh, you know, the White Sox and the Padres then at plus 1,100, uh, followed closely by the Braves at plus 1,200 and then the Rays at plus 1,400. I think the best value pick here, you got either the Mets or the Astros or the Cubs at plus 2,500. And if, you, I well, think, I think if you're the, betting, that's... The Astros are going to look significantly different next year than they did this season. 
Uh, no, George so that's Springer. Right, right off the bat. Uh, I believe the Mets at 2000. That's pretty good value. I think so. I would agree with you there. Uh, will I bet it? Possibly. Will I bet the Yankees? Possibly. <laughs> Maybe I'll hedge on both teams uh, just to, to, to give us some material for the show for next year. Uh, hopefully, why, why don't you bet the Ma- Why don't you bet the Mariners at plus eight thousand? I mean, at some point they're going to make the playoffs, right? Right. <laughs> Blue Jays at plus four thousand is pretty good too. I think that's that's pretty good value. I think because I also think that they're going to be on a couple of guys. They're going to look to make a couple of trades and maybe go after a pitcher and free agency. So, uh, yeah. So that's good value. I think it's good value there. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to touch on here is the future. You know, we talked about the Mets. Obviously, Brody Van Wagenen uh, shown the door by Sandy Ellison. You know, Brody, if he knew that the Mets were going to sell in two years, there's no way he would have ever left his agency, CAA, which is the top baseball agency that he co-founded, to become a general manager. Now he, he can't be an agent again. He's not getting a GM job. So what's next for Brody Van Wagenen? Joe, I think this guy would be phenomenal on MLB Network. Yeah, I was going to say he's going to be on TV. I actually think he's going to end up on SNY. That's what I, that's what I think. You think uh, so? Right, So close to being let go for the Mets? I mean, he's not going to be working for the Mets. I don't think it's going to uh, really be so a the Wolpons, the Wolpons throw him a bone and they, they, they uh, hire him on SNY because they own SNY. Keep that in mind. Yeah, no, I, I think I think his 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 definitely next move is going to be in TV. Uh, and I mean, I don't think as a GM, I don't think he was necessarily a failure. I just think he did. He didn't really have enough. We time. didn't have enough time for him to really develop a concrete opinion of him. I think he'll be good on TV. I really think, no, he I think he'll be great on TV, too. It seems like he's going to be great on TV. Uh, we have a late breaking development here. Oh, so we got Anthony Puccio. Uh, who tweeted out. Now, he is a contributor on SNY, right? Uh, Nets writer for the Daily uh, the Daily News. Uh, Nets Insider. Uh, tweeted 20 minutes ago. Actually, 25 minutes ago. Uh, sources around the league believe there is a verbal agreement. Uh-oh. A verbal agreement between the Nets and the Rockets that would bring James Harden to Brooklyn and create a super team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So that means so, Westbrook's probably staying in, in Houston. That means he's probably going to stay in Houston unless they really, really decide that they want to throw it away and that they really, really want a hard rebuild. If you're the Rockets, but, there's absolutely no reason you should be trading Harden or Westbrook this season. Well, it looks like Harden's going to be a net real soon. Uh, to quote Michael Broomberg, former by New York City, is Brooklyn in the house? All right, so that's going to do it here for our, this episode of You Know I'm Right, right here on The Zone. For Joe Calabrese, I'm Nick Durst, and thank you for listening to You Know I'm Right. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com.